Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Materializing Mindset Podcast. Today is a very special episode as we interview our very first guest, a local entrepreneur here in Northwest Florida, husband to one and hated by none, a father of two with a size 12 shoe. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to introduce Nick Weldon to the show today. Nick will talk about how he took the leap to quitting his job and buying a company in rough shape seven years ago, how he has grown it into the go-to place for any and all marine welding needs. And Nick will also share how his mindset and daily habits line him up to sprint down the path to his version of success each and every day. I learned a lot from Nick on this episode, and I look forward to seeing how my day-to-day will improve thanks to my conversation with him here on the Materializing Mindset Podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, what's up, man? I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited, excited to have you, man. I'm excited to have you. This is uh, this was something that was that was sparked by you. You know, you, you sent a message. Uh, I, I told you that I didn't have time for it, and, and I got all this stuff going on. And you just said it takes 25 minutes a week. You know, it's kind of where I want to start because it, it sounds like you know you're you're a guy who's not one to think about the excuses about what could go wrong or I don't have time. Cause right. There's, there's always right. more reasons why not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I've, I've learned that in my business, you know, why not? You can pick a hundred different reasons. Why not? Uh, when all you got to choose is one reason why to do it. You know, the action is, is all you have to take, you know, one foot in, in front of the other. And I truly believe that. And, you know, it, it parlays real well into, into a couple of businesses that I, I own and run. That's awesome, man. That's <clears> awesome. <throat> I know that through the time that, that I've seen how you work and how I've kind of talked to you and seen where your head's at, you know, it, it seems to me that there, there's a lot of things in terms of like discipline and, and habit forming. And, and, you know, I think I think the first thing I'd want to start with in terms of like kind of getting into how you have that mindset is what are some things, whether it's something you can grab and hold and throw at a wall or it's something that eats up space in your mind, like uncertainty and doubt. So like, or, or the fear of something. So I just kind of want to know, like, what are some things that you've had to give up or get rid of or limit in your life in order to accomplish the goals that you've kind of set forth? So I will tell you one thing that I have forfeited is free time. Mm. I really enjoy a structured format to each and every minute of my day. When I wake up in the morning, I like to set a schedule for myself, uh, whether that be working out, whether that be spending time with my kids, whether that be uh, having that special talk with my employee that I knew needed to happen. You know, I think um, scheduling the first part of your day, right when you wake up, take an hour before the kids wake up, and really set your schedule for that day. It's huge for me, man. It really, really puts my mind in the in the right place. It really does. Yeah, that's something that you know. In in my learnings and, and trying to understand how to how to kind of get to the point that you're at, right? Like we've talked before, you know, you're a few years older than me, and and I've kind I kind of have somebody to look up to in the sense of like, what have you done right? What have you done maybe that you could have done differently? And how can I learn? <clears throat> I will tell you also my, my physical health, when I put my physical health first, my mind follows. If I teach my discipline through my body, my mind has to follow. Mm. 
I feel when my body's in the right place, my mind's in the right place. You know, I don't know if it's if it's better blood circulation in my brain because I ran that day or because I did that extra rep that I have that mental fortitude to do things in my work day that I don't want to do because I did that extra rep. I didn't want to do that rep. You know, now uh, whenever I don't want to sweep the shop at the end of the day after I'm done working, I have to. You know, it's almost uh, the things that you don't want to do. You tackle those things first. And I feel like working out is one of those things. You know, it's much easier to sit on the couch and play with the kids. But uh, every day when I get home, I say, hey, I kiss the wife on the forehead, slap hands with the kids. And then uh, I go work out in the garage, man, for for 20, 30 minutes. And uh, it really, really puts my head in the right place. It really does. I think I think that's major, man. And, and something you said really resonated with me where you're able to transition that mindset that you have in the gym. Like you said, you, you there's it's non-negotiables. It's it's this is this exercise requires me to execute 12 reps and I will go until 12 reps are done. And the fact that you're able to take that same mindset and, and make that connection, because in the gym, they always talk about the 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 mind muscle connection and, and, you know, looking at the muscle and touching the muscle when you're performing the action. And so I think you're kind of creating a, a mindset connection in terms of, yeah, there, there's a lot to the physical side. There's a lot to the physical side in terms of your health and your well-being. but yep. being able to say this rep is non-negotiable in the same way that my schedule is non-negotiable, the time I spend is non-negotiable and being deliberate with my time. That's one thing I want to touch on too, is it sounds like you don't leave anything to chance when it comes to how you spend your time. No. And, you know, I think it will, the, the most important thing in life is time. Mm. You know, that's why uh, a mechanic shop charges you time. You know, time is the most expensive thing in this world. And it, it is, we only have so much of it. So I feel like if you can uh, schedule your time better, not only will you be more successful, but you you'll have more mental fortitude. You will not have a, you know, a scrambled brain throughout the day. You know, if, if you created that schedule first thing in the morning, you'll know exactly where you're headed throughout the day. And if there's any deviations, I even put in my notes that I make in the first part of the day, a deviation or a deviation clause in my schedule say, uh, okay, what if I, if I get hurt during the day, what do I do if I can't work out? Okay. Well, you just stretch, you know, it's, there's definitely deviations. And I think the schedule to uh, time connection, I think is, mm. uh, is, is just huge, man. It, it really is, you know, time is money and that's the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, I came to that realization and it, it's, it's one of those things when you happen upon it, you really realize like that time is so important. You know, it, it's the most valuable asset that anyone owns and no one knows how much of it they have. Yeah, man, that's you know? very true. <clears throat> you know, and all we've got is this second right now. And I think, like you said, and, and and another thing I love is that you have those deviation clauses. You, you you don't, because one thing for me that I've struggled with is I'll set a schedule and then get intimidated by it when I look at it and I see how it's all planned out. But I think that's the big thing too, right? Is some days, you know, you are going to wake up with a splitting headache and you're not able to go on that run or, or whatever the case may be, you know, um, and I, and I saw you kind of smile at that. So I'll let you kind of go into that. Well, you know, it's, uh, I, I always laugh at people that, uh, that overthink things. I don't, I don't laugh at them, but I chuckle at the idea mm. that they're overthinking, taking action. And 
that is what causes inaction is the overthinking of the action that you have to take. So if you take the one foot right in front of the other, you know, if someone has done it, I believe that I can do it. You know, uh, you ask Elon Musk uh, 15 years ago, if, if he thinks that he'd be building rocket ships, it's probably a hard no. Yeah. You know, I mean, it really is. So I feel, you know, and, and just the small amount of uh, construction that we do in our business and um, welding, you know, we, we build some pretty cool stuff in there. And a lot of my employees get intimidated by it. And it's my job to make sure that they can put one step in front of the other and not get intimidated by the project that we have coming. I love that. I, I think being an actionable leader is, is the difference between a leader and a boss or a leader and a supervisor or a leader and, you know, a shop manager or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and even a leader and an owner of a business, cause you can own a business and not be a true leader. So for you to go in there and, and, you know, say, Hey, follow me guys. I'll show you how we're going to get this done. Yeah. You know, and inspiring guys to, to act, I think is big. And I love where you said uh, uh, the overthinking of, of taking the action. And that's so true, right? Because you're absolutely right. The deviation clause doesn't apply because my head hurts. The gotcha. deviation applies because I'm physically unable to do it or that, you know, some family emergency happens, but I can't sit here and overthink how to do it. You're absolutely right. And that's why I look at the schedule and get intimidated is because I'm looking at it and thinking about all the things I have to do and really all I've got to do is the next thing. Yeah. You just got to get up. Exactly. You just got to get up one exactly. foot in front of the other. And you know, every, every time what's worked for me, it sounds very cliche one foot in front of the other, mm -hmm. but it is one step after the other, whether that is a step financially, whether it's a step while you're running, you know, whether it's uh, with uh with someone that you lost connections with that you'd like to get closer to, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I firmly feel one step in front of the other is, is what it's going to take to get you where you want to go. Exactly. When paddleboarding, if, if you're a little inexperienced and you try to just stand still, you're going to fall off into the water. But if you just put one stroke in and then the next stroke and then the next stroke, you yeah, get a little, you'll find your balance. Boom. Yeah. And, and you get to that point. And the same thing with a bicycle. Try standing up straight up on a bicycle and not move. You're going right. to fall over. You're going to fall down. You're going to get right. hurt. Yep. And it's the same thing with inaction. It's like when I don't do what I know I need to do, I look back with regret. I, and I feel business is this way. If I feel like you fail a thousand times and if you succeed once, it will trump the thousand times that you have failed. And you would never succeed if you didn't fail those 1000 times, that's the way I've, I've ran my businesses and that's the way I've ran my life is you go into that wall head first, you're going to come out the other side, you know, a, a better man. I Exa believe that. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where that, that level of action, like you said, you come out a better man, you come out, you come out the other side. Yeah. You've got scrapes, you've got bruises, you got beat up a little bit, but you're standing with a smile on your face saying, come on, where yeah, you at? At you least know? I did it. Right, right, right. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like Brad Pitt and Fight Club, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, good luck trying to stop him. You're going to walk away looking at him like, what's wrong with you, bro? Exactly. It's like, that's the world, right? The world's coming in, trying to tear you down, trying to stop you. And, you know, that's why in today's day and age, there's so many distractions. And I think like you, and, and the first thing I thought of when you said 20, 30 minutes working out was how much screen time am I putting in? How much time am I spending on just distracting myself where on days where I don't look at my phone and I'm honed in, 
I look at the end of the day and I'm like, I got a lot accomplished today. I feel better about myself because I'm not online doing the, the keeping up with the Joneses thing, which can then also prevent inaction because I can look at someone doing much better than I and think to myself, there's no way I can ever get to that point. Why even take the first step? Yeah. And I think uh, with you, it sounds like there's a lot of with the schedule and with uh, uh, staying true to your core values. There's a lot of discipline that goes on there. So I, I, I really I just want to know, like, have you have you always kind of been a disciplined guy? Has it always been something that somewhat came naturally to you or was it something that you built upon? So um, getting older, I've realized that discipline is what separates successful people from non-successful people. I mean, you ask anybody who is successful, they are disciplined in one way or another, you know, whether it's uh, their their time, they have to be disciplined in the time that they used or disciplined just in their in their mind to where, you know, they do stuff that they don't want to do. You know, if it's just like I said before, you know, if if, if I want to get in there and and have a clean shop, you've got to go in there and do the action to clean the shop. To answer your question on the discipline, I don't I've I've never thought of myself as having much discipline. You know, I've never broken down the word to uh, to attach myself to it. You know, I just I feel like I, I need to follow what I feel makes me happy. And um, and if that entails a little bit of discipline, then that's that's I guess that would be what it means to me. You know. I think I think what I'm seeing here more than anything is just that that undying drive that when you set that goal of I want to look good in the summer or I want to have a clean shop or whatever the case may be, no matter how big or how small, you know, like we said, there's there's not much deviation from what it takes to accomplish that goal. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of mentioned there, too, that that you can't you can't tie yourself to the outcome, you know, and in my current role, that's that's one of the big things that we have to do is. You know, because I'm cold calling on people, I'm I'm interrupting people's day, you know, and if I get too tied into like all of that stuff, like, oh, no, I'm calling these people out of the blue. They're not going to, you know, that's going to come through on the call and then it's not going to happen. So guess what? The belief that it wasn't going to happen is what created the end result. So when I go into it, separating myself from the outcome, because a lot of times what people end up doing is they tie their value to the outcome, not the journey. Mm. They tie how they how they are and and what they can contribute as a human being to what they produce because i think and a lot of times in western society i mean and in in humans in general we define an animal's propensity to intelligence by its ability to alter its environment the outcome we think monkeys are smart because they can put shapes in the shape hole but we don't think a bee is smart because they release pheromones 300 yards away that tell another bee to cut. Like that's, that seems pretty smart to me. Like, but it's just, it's different levels of intelligence. And what I'm getting at is the, the measure of your value, the measure of what you can bring to the table and who you are as a human, which ultimately are the underlying factors that drive you to take the action. You need, I think it's important to just, like you said, dive in. Don't think about the outcome. Don't think about what could go wrong. Yeah. And more than that, you know, I, I feel like if I, like, so I, I want to be somewhat of a role model to the people that are around me in in the aspect that, you know, I, I might have better anger management than mm. some people around me, or I might have a clear mind or I might have a better diet choice. Mm. Um, and I feel like if anybody was to need advice, I would love to be a person to give the advice if they see that 
uh, I have more uh, discipline than they do in this in this aspect. So more than anything, I, I would like to be uh, more of a role model to people um, if I can be. And I do that just by working on myself, you know, and uh, I feel like if I can work on myself and I can directly affect other people's lives in a positive manner. And, you know, I, I also do that at work. You know, I, I lead by showing them instead of by telling them, mm. you know, it's the same like anybody that works uh, for me. I tell everybody that they work with me. Mm-hmm. I never tell anybody who comes to my shop. Hey, uh, he, he's the one who works for me. I always say, you know, go see Steven. He's my shop manager. Uh, he handles and runs the shop. Um, we work closely together. That's it. And I feel that, you know, I don't say that because I want people to think a certain way. I, I feel that way uh, because that's the way that I, that I think of that person. You know, we do work closely together and I don't feel that they're any less than me ever, but I do expect them to look for me for guidance in the business, you know, because uh, ultimately that, that is uh, my business that they're running. And, um, and I trust them with it fully. That's awesome, man. I, I know that very true in the sense of how you get the most out of people because people want to feel like, like we've kind of mentioned, they want to feel like they're bringing value, that they're, they're doing something big. And, and when you're, and like we just mentioned, man, you're kind of being that facilitator of that to that person in the sense of facilitating them the right mindset that they can then take the action because they're seeing someone who is their superior in some way, right? That, that you're their boss in the sense of, of you own the company, but that you are also showing your faith in them as an expert in that industry. Right. And they can think to themselves, you know what? This guy is somebody who runs and operates this business and he trusts me. He sees this in me. Right. Yeah. I always want people who work for and with me uh, to look for, look to me for guidance. I don't want them to look uh, to me for authority, mm. you know, and that's, I've, I've never been the one to discipline or, uh, you know, I guess belittle uh, any of my employees. I've always looked to boost them. Um, and I feel that is tenfold more constructive than, you know, saying issues that I might have with them. You know, I'd say, hey, how about uh, next time? Let's let's try to uh, do this a little bit differently. This is how I would do this. Mm. Um, you know, if you ever need help with that, make sure you come grab me next time and I'll show you how to do it. You know, instead of uh, scorning that person, you know, I feel like that is a lot less constructive, you know, adding what I would do better in that situation. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I've always learned. If I got scorned by somebody, I feel like I would hold uh resentment toward them in the long run. Absolutely. I, I think that that is, uh, that's definitely, you know, a quote comes to mind when you say that is that you attract more ants with honey than with vinegar, right? So if, if you want people to act in a manner congruent with the overall mission, the overall goal, which in your case is, is building and fabricating excellent product, um, you know, which is something that I, I also wanted to kind of dive into. So um, I really wanted to talk about a, a big thing that happened for you six or seven years ago now, when you decided to take that leap from the W-2 job into owning your own business and, and just how little amount of training and knowledge you had on this business that you said, you know what, I'm going to buy it and go for it. So I just want to kind of, you know, first talk about, was there any one moment that sparked this, this need to see change and then, you know, wait for an opportunity or, or what did that timeline look like where, when you knew you wanted to leave the W-2 job and this new company came in, and, and you had the opportunity to take it over. Yeah. So a lot of it started 
when I had my first child. And I realized that the job I had, which was a, a marine salvage job, um, which you could leave at any time of the night. You know, anytime you had a phone call to where somebody was stuck 20 miles offshore, you'd have to leave. It doesn't matter what what the seas were, uh, how cold or how hot, or if they, if your kid was running a fever and, you know, the wife was at work, you, you got to go. That was a, that was a big change for me and <clears throat> was getting paid minimally, you know, as most people are trained to do. And that is the norm. And, um, and I felt like I needed to change, man. And um, I've always felt like I've wanted something that was mine, something that I could uh, mold. And whenever I wanted to see a change that I could see a direct change, you know, and any time that uh, I was a manager in something, uh, it'd have to go to the owner. And then, you know, typically you just, you wouldn't see anything change. I don't think that works in my book, you know, type thing. And, um, and I was brought the opportunity by an old family friend who had a welding business that was uh, not the best run, always going through employees and uh, was in poor health as well, was selling the business. And he called me one day when I was, I was offshore, hating my job. He said, Hey, Nick, I'm, uh, I'm getting out of this. I'm in bad health. Uh, either I'm selling it to you or I'm selling it to somebody else. And I said, I'll be there after work. And we came to terms on what it would be for me to buy it from him. And ever since that day, I worked after my shift at being a captain and towing people all day and all night. Anytime that I was on call, I would go weld towers. And he taught me for about six weeks. And then he said, all right, I'm out. And I knew I couldn't afford the shop that he was in. So me and my dad built a 20 by 20 little shop on the side of his shop. And, and today we're in a 6,000 square foot warehouse and got a couple employees and we're doing, we're doing very well. That's awesome, man. That, so when you say, and you got that call 20 miles offshore, hating your job and said, you know what, I'm going to go for it. You know, I think that marks a pivotal change. And I think like you mentioned, having a child and, and knowing that that was really the time when you were able to realize my time is of the utmost importance. Yeah, man. You know, and <clears throat> It, it all comes full circle is, uh, is my time. And I felt like I was wasting it at that job. I really did. You know, every, any, any time that I wanted to lead in some way, I would get micromanaged and I did not like that feeling at all. I felt like whenever I wanted to, uh, make a change, I wanted it to be final. You know, I didn't want to have to call uh, my superior and then ask if it was okay. I wanted to see the direct effect of my decision immediately. And it never worked for me. You know, I was labeled a manager, but I was being very micromanaged to where I was just another employee with more responsibilities. I run my business now the exact opposite. Mm. Anybody who's in charge of my shop, I, I don't even want them to call me, you know, unless it's unless we have an emergency at the shop. That person, and I trust that person with my entire business because I've vetted that person. Uh, if if they feel comfortable enough to run the shop that they should feel comfortable enough to make decisions for me. I really like that, man, where you mentioned, you know, you don't want them to call you. You know, I, I know a lot of the listeners at home may not know, but I actually worked for Nick's brother for many years. And, you know, he kind of shared that same sentiment and, and you and him kind of started your businesses at around the same time. Um, and, and you both kind of led that, that kind of paradigm. And, and I can say as working under someone who does the way you do, I haven't worked directly under you, 
but I know that the way you're doing it is the way to elicit the best out of your employees. It's the way to never get people to to want to work anywhere else. And that's because you've created a culture of openness of people who look forward to coming to work, who look forward to seeing you show up. You know, you, you never want to be the boss that when people see you come in, the air just comes out of the building. Like, ah, oh, there he is. You that's know, it's right. like, it's like when they see old Nick, they're like, my boy, you know? And I, and yeah, I think, that's right. and I think, you know, and of course there's a humble mix there where, you know, you might have to correct behavior or whatever. But like you said too, and this is where I think a lot of business owners might not do as good a job is really vetting who you're allowing to work there. I think a lot of times the search is just for a warm body rather than someone who's going to fit into the culture. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you've mentioned culture, um, and I feel like uh, the culture is huge in the job. It's it's much more important than the job is. And I feel like if you have a healthy culture at the shop or at any job, that you will never be looking for employees or people that want to work for you because you will have the people who work with you recruit for you. Mm-hmm. And you know, if that person's working for you and they fit in your culture, that whoever they recruit is probably a good fit. And I have never, I have never actively looked for employees because they have always come to me. And I know if they come to me that if their personality is good and that they'll fit in the shop, I can train them how to weld. You know, that's the easy part. That's interesting. You mentioned that. And I think, I think a lot of folks who are in the trade industry would, would admit that same sentiment. Um, The easiest part is the training essentially, because, you know, and that's the same thing that if you take care of, of your, of your people and, and you make sure that they're well-intended with what you want to accomplish, that, you know, they're going to grow that business and they're going to be able to, you know, well, they're going to help you grow that business by finding the people who will be able to facilitate it. Yeah. You know, and I, I also feel, and I had, well, he, he didn't, he didn't fit well in our culture at the shop, but he was way too overqualified for the job, but he was willing to work for what I was uh, willing to pay. And um, he came to the shop and he did not fit in our culture. You know, it was, it, it, it was no fun. He, the morale changed in the shop. You know, there was at lunchtime, it was a totally different vibe. You know, we weren't joking as much. It, it definitely changed. And, um, and, and me and uh, my shop manager, we had to let him go because he didn't fit well in the shop. You know, it's just it, when you don't look forward to coming to work, that person's got to go. Mm-hmm. It don't matter if it's the boss. It doesn't matter if it's a shop manager. It doesn't matter if it's the person you just hired. That person's got to go. <clears throat> yeah, 100%. Because I think what happens a lot of times is people connect themselves to the company. Like, yeah. like they see themselves as the company when in essence, the company is its own living, breathing thing. And, and like you said, you've, you've got to understand. And I think, you know, you've got a really good grasp. And I, and I think that's a testament to how you've been able to grow this thing organically. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk, go into that about um, kind of your strategy behind growth with the company and how you've really maintained that, that ability to not spend any le- uh, money on marketing, how you've kind of been able to do that through what you've told me is just references and, and people knowing the quality <laughs> of what you do, but really just want to talk about what the strategy is in terms of, of, you know, slowly but surely in terms of, of growth within the company. Yeah. So I will tell you that I'm, I'm not the best at marketing. Um, I'm very good at marketing myself. I'm not good at marketing my product only because uh, I feel like the product uh, sells itself. Hmm. And I feel like if I can market myself, I feel like the product speaks for itself. 
what I mean by that is I go to meet somebody for a job and they want to hire me to put a new T-top on there. Look, if you're looking for cheap, I'm not your guy. But if you're looking for the best, I'm going to do exactly what I told you to do. And if you call me two years down the road, say, hey, something broke, you just bring it by the shop. I'm going to fix it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say, oh, well, what'd you hit? Or, you know, any of this stuff. It's it's customer relations. And I stand behind my product. And everybody knows that. You know, I've, I've never done any marketing because the customers that I have do the marketing for me. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much vet for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost... Uh, you know, if someone comes to them and says, oh, I got a broken lampshade I need fixed, they'll probably keep my name out of their mouth. <laughs> right. <you know>? right. <laughs> like, but if you need a tower built for your boat, they'll say, I know just the guy. Yeah. To recap, I've never done any marketing. We stay several months out on our work right now. And um, and I feel like whenever I have tried some like just generic marketing, it's always been, you know, just work that I don't need or have time for or the people don't understand why i'm so expensive or you know they they just think you're just another welder you know and we're not we're a specific niche um that we do and we we specify that niche and that's why we're able to make such a good business out of it that's awesome yeah i I mean and, and those are all things where when you're able to stand by your product when when the people that buy your product tell other people to buy your product i mean (laughs) marketers have been trying to capture that essence since products began to be sold was how do I get referral business? That's why people, Hey, you refer a friend, get 500 bucks, refer this, get, because everyone under business owners understand marketers understand everyone knows that the word of mouth is the absolute best way to market. And yeah. it's better than any type of advertisement, any type of video you could share. And so when you're in a position where your customers feel the need to go out of their way, you know, and that's because of that relationship you've built. And that's the old, it's like you said, people, people don't buy a product. People buy people. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that, man. Yeah, and, and that's, and that's one of the things that just shows that when you have that integrity and you have that transparency, you know, those are two things that take people very far in life and business and anything that they do. And, you know, like you said, with the price, most people, when you talk about trying to sell a product, Price is one of the things that gets danced around. They don't want to mention it because in the back of your mind, you're thinking, did I, it's like you said, you can't build enough value to justify the price in a marketing, whatever it is that you're doing. But when you're able to just say your price confidently and say, Hey, this is what we charge. We're the best. Ask anybody in town. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're able to stand by that. That confidence is what allows people to understand like, Oh, this guy is, is a value, you know, whereas people try and come in and they try and, you know, this is the prize, but that's, you know, we're willing to negotiate and we can give this off. And, but when you stand by that price, because you know, your worth, you know, it's, it's that old thing that we, as people underestimate other people's ability to be okay with information. Absolutely. You know, and I, whenever people call me and are strictly like price shopping, I almost immediately give them other people's numbers. Mm. Whenever the person comes to me and asks for the best or the strongest or, you know, the, the best customer service, I, I stand right there with them and I'll answer every question they have. But as soon as they ask me, uh, what's your best price? You know, I've called 30 other people. I'm looking for the cheapest T-top I can afford. Um, and I'll say, oh, well, I'm probably not your guy. You know, you, I can refer you to somebody else. 
I won't even get into price with that person mm. because, you know, not only do I not need the grief because it's just going to become, you know, a battle between him and I and words on words. I would much rather uh, not have to deal with that same person three months down the road. Who's not going to be happy with the cheapest thing that I could have built for him. Right. Well, and, and, and that's, that's really interesting that you mentioned that. And that's absolutely true. Um, when people do just, when, when, a, when a prospect asks for a price right off the bat, that pretty much disqualifies any prospect that I would right speak away. to as well. I mean, it's right. like, cause if, if you're here for a, for saving money because it's a necessity, this ain't it, you know, like, like this ain't the one. And, and that's not a, like a lot of people might hear that and think like, Oh, they're cheap or Oh, they're this or Oh, they're that. No, they're just not your customer. That's right. And that's okay. Yep. And so the fact that you also handle those people with tact and don't say, lose my number and hang up. Yep. You say, well, here, let me, cause you're still going to take some of that time that you hold so dear, but another human is asking, for a little bit of help and guidance, yep. you're willing to give it to them. You don't know them, but you're going to say, Hey, look, here's some phone numbers of some people that might be able to help you out. Give them a call. Absolutely. You know, and I've, I've, I always try to help that person because I, you know, I don't know their, their finances or how well financed they are. Um, I just, I, I try that's, that's not my customer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, and that's important too, as an entrepreneur and a business owner, a lot of people are so hyper-focused on getting prospects, getting customers, getting sales, getting this and, and getting that book of business and building that pipeline and getting those people on the books that they're willing to take anybody and everybody. And then they look back and everything's a mess because they haven't, when, when you, when you have a, a particular persona that you stick to, or a couple of personas that you stick to in terms of who you define as your ideal buyer yeah. and you stick to those <laughs> principles, you're always going to have a better time. Well, you know, it's, whenever you, you're talking about, uh, you know, just getting jobs faster and faster and, uh, stacking up your pipeline. Um, I've done quite the opposite. You know, I've really refined my pipeline. I can't scale my business fast enough right now. Um, you know, we're in a very niche, uh, Marine fabrication business and I'm trying to scale as fast as I can and I still can't keep up with our work. So I know that I can pick through the work that I need you know, maybe later on down the road, whenever I have more people than work, maybe I can uh, try to stretch my pipeline, but I still don't think I'd ever get desperate or pick through my values. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I think, um, I think the takeaway from that is that, you know, you're looking for the right people and the right culture to cultivate this, you know, you're, you're starting literally as a farmer, you, you find the seed and then you plant it and you take care of it and then it grows into something and you're able to cultivate a crop, you know, and, and when, when you look at a business that way, when you look at it in a sense of, you know, cause I, I guarantee that if you were able to find a few extra hands who could really help you, you'd be able to knock out that work and start growing it. And, and I think, like you said, finding the right people is so important and building the right culture is so important that, you know, for you to put that first, I think speaks volumes of the type of business you run, the type of ethics that you have and, and the morals that you hold true, you know, because you want to make sure it's done the right way, the way that you saw it when you started it and, and the way that it should be developed for everyone's well-being. Yeah. You know, and I've thought that in, uh, you know, I, I own a, a couple of things in real estate as well. Um, and I've always felt that way. You know, everybody says, oh, you don't want to be a slumlord, you know, stuff like that. And I've I've always I've always, you know, looked at them in a funny way whenever they say that is I feel like that same person who's paying me rent is also a customer, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's not that I'm a slumlord. It's they're actually paying me a profit off of the, 
property that I own, but in turn, I feel like I should give them customer service. You know, I'm not going to come over there uh, right away and, and fix your thermostat, which we do. You know, it's it's just totally, I, I think of business in a totally different way to where uh, customer service should be first and the product follows. Mm-hmm. And then if your customer service follows through with your product, you you can't build a, a failing business. It's it's funny the way you describe that. I, I spoke with a gentleman who um, owns a few companies years ago in one of our first conversations, and he became a really great mentor to me. And this is kind of an old adage, and, and you might have, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but it's the idea that that in business, as a customer, you can choose two of three things, but you cannot have all three, quality, service, price. Yeah. So if you want the best quality and the best service, you're going to pay a higher price for it. Yeah. And being able to position yourself in that way really brings and, and what that's going to do is it's going to bring clientele who are looking for the best quality and the best service and the price isn't really as big a deal to them. Yeah. And those are going to be clients that are going to be your best clients and you're going to give opportunities for your employees to work with good clients. They're not going to be, you know, that's another thing too. They're not going to be dealing with, you know, hyper picky and, and people who are, who are, that's huge, man. Yeah. And, and, so I love where you mentioned that, that you wanted to be, uh, you know, a good landlord and, and somebody that y- your tenants would, you know, feel delighted to get a call from or to have to call for any reason and knowing that you're going to pick up that phone and you having that integrity. Uh, I really want to kind of back up and, and say you know, what, what kind of what prompted you to get into real estate? What made you want to kind of dive into that that realm of, of passive income in terms of, of owning a rental property? So, you know, in, with business. I, I feel like, uh, you know, you can't be hyperly successful if you have to be present. Real estate has always been very intriguing to me just because it is easily scalable if you learn how to do it correctly. Um, and the different ways of doing it has always been very intriguing to me. You know, right now we're sitting inside of a camper that is an investment. I don't think of it as uh, as something for me and the family to use primarily, more as a uh, passive income stream for me. You know, and I, almost everything that I buy, I think of as how can I make money for this and how can I justify this payment? I think you're very right on that topic in terms of seeing money as a tool that you're able to utilize to, you know, generate that income when you're not having to be there and you're able to spend that time doing other things that you love and, and the things that really fulfill you. Because, you know, things that I've learned is I realize that I can't try and seek my value and fulfillment from work that I do in terms of a W2 job. Right. Like if I'm, if I'm seeking fulfillment through that job, I'm probably not going to find it unless of course it's a job that you love. And, and, you know, there are certain industries where, where there is a lot of fulfillment to be had. Um, But I think in terms of like stuff that's really going to last and things that, you know, will stand the test of time in terms of ways that you feel, really like you're, you're making an impact and you're making a difference. I think it's, it's following your passion. It's doing things you love doing. And it's, it's like you said, it's just, it's diving in and taking that first step to being able to accomplish those goals. All right, Nick. I mean, we've, we've covered a good bit here, man. I've got a lot to digest. I can't wait to listen back to this thing and get some nuggets from this. I mean, I feel like I'm in San Francisco in 1849. Cause we got a lot of gold nuggets to sift through on this thing. So man, I enjoyed it. Dude, I really appreciate you coming out. Thank you so much again. Guys, remember when you're listening to this that the gentleman on this podcast is the reason this thing started. Uh, Go out, do great things. Hey, if this thing impacted you in any type of way, share it with a friend, send them a clip. 
let them know to check it out. And if it didn't message me, let me know what you'd love to see different. I'm open and, and willing to hear all of it. So Nick, thank you again. Thank you for having me, man. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. You know, the pleasure was all mine. It really was. And Nick Weldon, thank you again for coming on the Materializing Mindset podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Again, I hope you were able to get something out of this episode as much as I was. And we look forward to seeing you next time on the Materializing Mindset podcast. Mm-hmm.